السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وسلم تسليما Respected listeners In the previous session I began speaking about Hasid, envy I've already provided the Islamic definition of envy and jealousy, both malignant envy and benign envy. I also explained how envy is so destructive. In fact, the ulama say that envy was one of the first sins in the heavens. And it was also the first sin on earth which led to Qabil killing his brother Habil. And that is the story referenced in the Holy Quran when Allah says, And relate to them the story of the two sons of Adam with truth. Envy has been the cause of wars of murder, mayhem, killing between individuals as well as on a, on a large scale throughout history. Every individual is both an envy, guilty of envy himself and herself and is also a potential victim of envy. And even the prophets of Allah were not spared of the harm of envy. Every messenger was opposed by his people. And there were many reasons, there were a myriad of reasons for people refusing to accept their messengers. But often one of the reasons was envy. As Allah says, وَإِذَا جَاءَتُمْ آيَةٌ قَالُوا لَنْ نُؤْمِنَ حَتَّى نُؤْتَى مِثْلَ مَا أُوْتِي رُسُلُ اللَّهِ That when a sign came to them, they said, and Allah is referring to people of the past, that we will never believe until we are given the like of that which was given to the messengers. I explained how even the Prophet Yusuf his own father advised him, even though this was a family of prophets, that do not relate your beautiful dream to your brothers, lest do not relate your dream to your brothers, lest they plot and scheme against you. And why would they do that? It would be the result of envy. They were already, they already harboured reservations and some envy towards him because they felt that he was chosen by his father, more beloved 
by his father. And the relating of this dream would only compound their sense of being deprived of their father's love and their suspicion that he was the favoured one. This would only add to their envy. And indeed it did. And they plotted against the brother. And we have the whole story of the life of the Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. So even the prophets of Allah were never immune from the harm of envy. Envy from within the family, envy from their own people. And indeed, this, this was a case with the Prophet ﷺ. And this was one of the sections where I left off that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, he was the victim of envy in Makkah al-Mukarramah when the Quraysh said of him, وَقَالُوا لَوْلَا نُزِّلَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنُ عَلَىٰ رُجُلٍ مِّنَ الْقَرْيَتَيْنِ عَظِيمٍ and they said that, why wasn't this Qur'an revealed to a great man of the two cities, referring to Mecca or Ta'if? And the reason they said this is that they couldn't accept that someone who, although they saw him as being honest and trustworthy before the revelation of the Qur'an, someone they saw as being although they saw him as being honest and trustworthy and noble, they didn't regard him as being wealthy, nor did they regard him as being a person of power and influence. Not one of their clique, not one of the elite. And so, in their view, in their worldly view, if he had received the revelation of the Qur'an and communication from Allah, this suddenly gave him a leap over them. And despite their power, their politics, their wealth, their influence, their supporters, despite everything, overnight, in their view, this individual had... surpassed them and was now beyond their reach and they were no match for him. Thus they burnt with envy and they said what the previous peoples have said, which is that we refuse to believe in him. Unless we are given what he has been given, why was he chosen? And this is the essence of this is where I left off, that this is the essence of it. One of the, this is the essence of envy. The envious person has a false self, a sense of self-entitlement. An arrogance. That I deserve this. Not that person, I do. So one, it's a false sense of self-entitlement. It's arrogant. It's selfish. And when a person burns green with envy, their thinking is warped. Their perception 
their perspective is warped. They are unable to think straight. Their anger, their passion, their envy, their inner rage, they seethe with rage and glow green with envy. This warps their thinking, distorts their thinking. And so they say the most illogical things. They believe the most illogical things. And they act irrationally. They do act irrationally. And so the Quraysh refused to believe in Rasulullah And they demanded that why was he chosen? It's a great objection. Envy leads to objection. And the objection is against Allah. It's always against Allah. When the Quraysh said that why wasn't the Qur'an revealed to a great man of the two cities, they were objecting to Allah. That why did Allah choose to reveal the Qur'an to Muhammad ibn Abdullah? Sallallahu alayhi wa Why not one of us? We are more deserving. Now we may scoff at such a thought and we may tut in disgust and contempt. But how dare they object to Allah and question Allah's wisdom as to who he will reveal the Qur'an to and grant and bestow his revelation to. And indeed, Allah says immediately thereafter, What? Do they distribute the mercy of your Lord? So it's a sequence. They said that why wasn't the Qur'an revealed to one of the two great men of the city, or one of the great men of the two cities, or to a great man of one of the two cities. So immediately then Allah says, What do they distribute the mercy of your Lord? Now we, we may find that surprising, but this is exactly what we do ourselves. When we are envious of a person, we object to Allah's choice in bestowing his favour on that person. And this is why one of the final things I said was a poem, where the poet says, أَلَا قُلْ لِمَنْ ظَلَّ لِي حَاسِدًا أَتَدْرِي عَلَى مَنْ أَسَأْتَ الْأَدَبَ أَسَأْتَ عَلَى اللَّهِ فِي حُكْمِهِ إِذَا لَمْ تَرْضِ لِي مَا وَهَبَ إِذَا أَنْتَ لَمْ تَرْضِ لِي مَا وَهَبَ That say to one who has remained envious of me, do you know who you have been insolent towards? You have been insolent to Allah in his, cho- in his judgment. For you have not been content with what Allah has granted me. And this is it. Just as the Quraysh were seething with rage, glowing green with envy, at the Prophet ﷺ and objecting to Allah giving him the Qur'an, we do exactly the same. We glow green with envy. We are besides ourselves with rage. We seethe in indignation. And we question and we object. Who do we object to? We object to Allah. Now why did Allah give him 
this thing. There's that arrogance, there's that objection, there's that sense of self-entitlement. That he doesn't deserve it, I deserve it. Who are we to judge what Allah gives to someone? Envy is illogical. It doesn't make sense. It's purely emotional. It truly is. It's, it's animalistic behavior. It's bestial behavior. It's animal behavior. It probably belongs to the reptilian part of our brain. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Envy is illogical. Envy leads to incoherent, illogical behavior. Envy has no positive outcome. It truly doesn't. In fact, it's said, uh, this quote has been attributed to one of the Sahaba, that he said that I can please every individual. I can pacify and placate every individual, meaning I can make them content, except the hasid, except the envious person. Because the envious person will only be happy with the removal of that favor and blessing of Allah. So as I said, envy is illogical, it leads to illogical behavior, and it has no logical outcome, it has no positive outcome. It doesn't. Neither for the victim, nor for the perpetrator of envy. So envy makes no sense. And this is why Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have warned us against it. Envy is destructive. It makes no sense whatsoever. And Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have warned us not to be envious. This is the, the behavior and the characteristic and the trait of a munafiq, not a mu'min. This is why Imam Nasai rahmatullahi relates a hadith from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, وَلَا يَجْتَمِعَانِ فِي قَلْبِ عَبْدٍ الْإِيمَانُ وَالْحَسَدِ And two things do not combine in the heart of a servant. Two things do not come together in the heart of a servant. Al-Iman wal-Hasid. Iman and Hasid. A mu'min cannot be a Hasid. It doesn't mean that if someone is guilty of envy, they leave the fold of Islam or they cease to be a mu'min. No. It's the Prophet ﷺ warning us against hasad and encouraging us to be true believers. That 
we've embraced Islam, we regard ourselves as Muslim. But if we want to be truly mu'min, true believers, then we have to rid ourselves of hasad. Because true iman cannot reside in the same heart with hasad. It cannot. A munafiq can be a hasid, but a mu'min cannot be a hasid. And in fact, when the Prophet ﷺ traveled from Mecca to Medina, he wasn't just the victim of envy in Mecca al Mukarramah, he was a victim of envy in Al Medina al Munawwarah. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the leader of the hypocrites, One of his greatest reasons for opposing the Messenger وسلم, verbally abusing him in his absence, sometimes even in his presence, initially. So once Prophet وسلم, went with a group, someone told him, Ya Rasulullah, go and preached to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. He's one of the leaders of his people. So the Prophet went with a group of companions. And when they arrived, he was a leader. So he was surrounded by his cronies and by others as well. Not necessarily his cronies, but others who, because he was an influential, powerful person, they were there in his gathering. Prophet began preaching to them, speaking to them of Islam. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul said, O oh Muhammad, do not come to us to preach. You stay where you are. If, anybody, if anyone wants to come to listen to you, they'll come to you, but do not come to us to preach. And then he also said, move your animal away, for its stench has offended us. One of the Sahaba عنهم, who was with the Messenger وسلم, responded by saying, By Allah, even the animal of the Messenger of Allah is more pure and fragrant than you. So sometimes even in his presence he would be rude and insolent. Of course, this was at the beginning, and then later when he realized that it would be better to throw in his lot with the Muslims, he did so. Only out of self-interest. But he would say all sorts of all sorts of things and the sahaba radiyallahu anhum would tell the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam once usaid ibn hudayr radiyallahu anhu said this to him once sa'd ibn ubadah radiyallahu anhu said this to him they both said to him on separate occasions ya rasulullah ignore him overlook what he said and the reason is, O Messenger of Allah, before you arrived, the people of Medina, the, the tribes of Medina, were on the verge of crowning him as a king of Medina, as a preeminent leader of all the tribes. In fact, one of the other words that they would say, that they had already woven a wreath for him. 
And then when you arrived, O Messenger of Allah, he now feels that you have stolen, you have robbed him of his kingship, of his monarchy. So, O Messenger of Allah, ignore what he says. So this was one of the greatest reasons for Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul behaving hypocritically and plotting and scheming constantly against the Messenger of Allah and abusing him in his absence especially and sometimes even in his presence in the earlier days and often being sarcastic, constantly making sarcastic, snidey remarks because he was envious of the Messenger of Allah. In fact, he was on the verge of being crowned king and suddenly he realized that this person has usurped my authority, usurped my throne, my crown, and overnight I have been relegated to an inferior position and I am no match or equal for him. So he burnt green with envy, he seethed with rage, he was indignant. So the Prophet ﷺ faced opposition in Makkah al-Mukarramah out of envy. It wasn't the sole reason, but it played a major part, it played a big role. He was the victim of envy in al-Madinat al-Munawwarah, especially at the hands of the Munafiqun and even others. As Allah says, they refuse to believe in you out of envy and out of spite. They refuse to believe in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In Al-Madinat al-Munawwara, Allah explicitly says, out of envy. Their envy actually led them to disbelief, even though some of them knew with conviction that he was a messenger of Allah. Can you believe it? The Qur'an actually testifies to this. That even though they knew that he was the messenger of Allah, as well as they knew their own children to be their children, they refused to believe in him. So, if they knew that he was the messenger of Allah, and they were as convinced of his prophethood as they were as convinced, as they were convinced of their children, of their children being their children, what then prevented them from believing and embracing? Hasid, envy. Just as a person who is envious of another today, if he is called upon to pay homage to him or show him respect or show him friendship, he will resolutely refuse to do it. And if he is compelled to do so, he will do it hypocritically. There is no sincerity, no wish. This is exactly what they did. They knew he was a messenger of Allah, but out of envy, that why did Allah make him the prophet and not one of, the, one of us? They refused to believe in him, even though they knew it was the truth. This is how envy is so illogical and leads to illogical behavior. In fact, it leads to objecting against Allah, it le objecting to Allah, it leads to questioning Allah's choice and Allah's favor. It leads to even disbelief.
And that was a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa So envy is destructive, it's illogical, and we have been warned against it. As I said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَلَا يَجْتَمِعَانِ فِي قَلْبِ عَبْدٍ الْإِيمَانُ وَالْحَسَدِ Iman and hasad. Two things cannot come together in the heart of a servant. Iman and hasad. Faith and envy. I.e. true Iman. And true, uh, true Iman can never reside, can never coexist with hasad, envy in the heart of a servant of Envy, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has, has advised us that a true mu'min cannot be a hasid. Yes, a munafiq may be a hasid, but anyone who is a true believer at heart cannot be a hasid. This is why in another very beautiful hadith related by Ibn Majah in his sunan, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhumah it said in the hadith قيل يا رسول الله أي الناس أفضل it was said O Messenger of Allah who of the people is the best who of the people is the most virtuous who's the best Everyone wants to be the best. And in this day and age, people still ask the same question. Who's the best? Of course, it's pronounced and spelled differently. So not who's the best, it's who the best. And who the best is? Someone with wealth, someone with bling, someone who can show off. Someone with the lowly, despicable, trivial trinkets of the dunya. He's the best. That's who we think is the best. So the same question was asked of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. ya Rasulullah, He was said, O Messenger of Allah, who is the best of all the people? Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's reply was, Every brushed of heart, every polished of heart, every individual honest of tongue, he's the best. Someone who is honest of tongue and someone who is meaning polished and brushed of heart. So the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, Sadduqul Lisan, the one with an honest tongue, we know who that is, i.e., the description. But who exactly is Mahmoom al Qalb? Because Mahmoom, why did they ask that? They were Arabs, of course they understood, but Mahmoom wouldn't normally be used with Qalb. Because the meaning of Mahmoom is brushed. It doesn't even actually mean polished, it means brushed. Vacuumed. So when you brush the uh, when you brush the carpets, when you brush the floor, that floor 
is then known as ardum makhmumah, meaning a brushed surface. So the Prophet ﷺ used that word makhmum with heart. So he said, Kullu makhmum al-qalb, every brushed of heart. So the Sahaba wanted clarification. They said, Ya Rasulullah, we understand Saduq al-Lisan, uh, every person honest of tongue. But who is makhmum al-qalb? The one brushed of heart, with a brushed heart. So the Prophet ﷺ said, the makhmum is who? هو التقي النقي لا إثم فيه ولا بغي ولا غل ولا حسد He said the makhmum al-qalb, the one brushed of heart, is التقي The one who is wary and fearing of Allah النقي, the pure لا إثم فيه There is no sin in him ولا بغي and there is no transgression in him. Wala ghilla, and there is no rancor or malice in him. Wala hasad, and there is no envy in him. He is the best of all people. Someone who is honest of tongue and brushed and polished of heart. And to be polished of heart, you have to be free of. First of all, you have your heart has to be filled with taqwa. You have to be pure, and your heart has to be free of sin, of transgression, of malice, and of hasad, of envy. Such a person is the best of all people. And this is why the Prophet said in a hadith related by Bukhari and Muslim from Anas ibn Malik, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه one of you cannot believe, i.e. one of you is not a true believer, until he loves for his brother that which he loves for himself. That's how clean-hearted a Muslim is. That's how pure-hearted a mu'min is. That rather than want to take what another has, rather than coveting what someone else has, rather than wishing, and praying for someone to be deprived of a favour that Allah has bestowed upon them. A mu'min actually looks at one's own possessions, one's own belongings, one's own leisure and pleasure, one's own privileges, one's own fortune, and with sincerity, passionately believes and prays that I wish my brother could have this thing. And by brother, the Prophet ﷺ wasn't even referring to one sibling or blood brother. Brother in faith. If I have good fortune, how will it harm me if my f- f- brother in faith, if my fellow, has the same? How does it detract from me? Like I said, hasad belongs to the reptilian part of our brain. It's illogical. We are selfish. We want everything for ourselves. One man cannot drink the water of the entire ocean. He cannot. Our energy, our lives are finite. How much are we going to hoard? How much are we going to accumulate? 
as the Prophet said, that regarding sadaqah, and this is the general meaning of the hadith, he described it beautifully, that a person will come to the end of one's life and withhold charity, be miserly, be stingy, tight-fisted and not give. And then suddenly at the end of one's life, the person suddenly begins distributing his or her wealth and says, this is for Fulan, this is for Fulan. And the Prophet dramatically, well, he, the Prophet ends the hadith with the most dramatic and decisive and overwhelming words. And what are they? That the person says, this is for Fulan, and this is for Fulan. This is for such and such a person. This is for such and such a person. وَقَدْ كَانَ لِفُلَانَ When it has already become for Fulan. He's about to die. He could not spend any of it. He could not use any of it. What could he do with it? And now he begins to distribute wealth and says, this belongs to that person, this belongs to that person. Well, it was already that person's. He was just looking after it. He was losing his sleep over it. He was merely guarding it for others. And that is the reality of wealth, wallahi. That's what we are envious of. A person works hard, breaks his back all his life. And this is a common perception in our culture. A person works hard all his life. When in fact it could be true. Gathers much money. He himself is now too ill, too weak to enjoy it. He has a son or a daughter. Gets them married. They, in the prime of their youth, they now begin to enjoy his wealth. There's a dispute. They end up divorcing. The son never earned any of that wealth. It was his father's. The wife, who's now divorced, didn't earn any of that wealth. It wasn't even her husband's. It was her father-in-law's. And now, neither the father, the earner, and the owner of this wealth, nor his son are enjoying any of it. A stranger who came into their life and became a stranger again through divorce, is now enjoying that wealth. And lo and behold, she goes and marries someone else, and that person is now enjoying that wealth. That's the reality of wealth. This is what we are envious of. So, a true mu'min desires for others what he or she desires for himself or herself. That's a true mu'min. Because it doesn't hurt them. It doesn't harm them. 
And as I ended the last session with the words that envy is such a thing that it destroys a person's peace, it robs them of peace, it robs them of tranquility and serenity. So even from a worldly perspective, it doesn't make sense to be envious. It doesn't. And this is why in another hadith related by Dhamrat ibn Tha'arabah recorded by Imam Tabarani in his Al-Mu'jim in his Al-Mu'jim Al-Kabir, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, لا يزال الناس بخير ما لم يتحاسدوا People will be in a good state. People will be good. Not good in that they will be good themselves, but they will be in good fortune. People will remain in good fortune and in a good state as long as they are not envious of each other. So it's not just individual peace. It's social peace, social tranquility, common peace. People will be happy. Wealth won't make you happy. There's always a counter-argument for everything. So, people normally say, wealth can't buy it. Counter-arguments like, if you tell someone, What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, the retort to that is, what doesn't kill you cripples you. It doesn't make you stronger, it cripples you. And if someone says, well, it's the early bird that catches the wind, someone tells you, look, why don't you go ahead? You go forth. You be the first. Remember, it's the early bird that catches the worm. You could always argue, no, why should I go? It's the second mouse that gets the cheese. So, there's always a counter-argument. When we say that wealth cannot buy happiness, well, the counter-argument to that is, yes, well, wealth may not buy you happiness, but at least you can be miserable in comfort. (laughs) At least you can be miserable in comfort. So, but the truth is, even those who say, well, at least you'd be miserable in comfort, even they concede that within you'll still be miserable. If someone wants true tranquility and serenity, and wants to be at peace within, wallahi, rid yourself, let's rid ourselves of envy. We will be at peace. Truly, we will be at peace. When we see some good in others, all we can say is, MashaAllah, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Whatever Allah wished. And there is no power and there is no strength except with Allah. It's His choice, He's given it. Alhamdulillah. Rasulullah has warned us against envy because it's so destructive. It's not just harmful to others, but before others is harmful to oneself. It truly is. 
And this is one, one famous hadith related to Abu Khari and Muslim. The Prophet says, Sorry. Prophet said, Beware of suspicion, conjecture, speculation. For indeed, speculation, conjecture is the greatest lie. And do not eavesdrop. And do not spy. And do not undercut one another. Nudge originally means to startle. And When you startle someone, uh, they used to use it in hunting. So what happens in hunting? You have the quarry, the prey. You have a pack of hunters. And they then get someone as a decoy. That decoy tries to attract the attention of the prey. And when the prey sees the decoy, what the prey does is that it gets startled. So when it gets startled and frightened, it bolts from its hiding place. When it bolts from its hiding place, trying to flee from this decoy, the pack of hunters, it goes straight towards a pack of hunters. So what the decoy does is set, he sets a trap. So this is the original meaning of nudge. To set a trap by startling the quarry, the prey. It then came to be used to entrap people. And so the meaning here of wala dana jashu is do not, I, I translated it as undercut because it specifically refers to false bidding as people do on eBay. And this is exactly what the Najash refers to. So, a person sells something, and then they create f- other accounts. And then using the other accounts, they bid against themselves, falsely raising the price. So they are entrapping potential buyers. If they don't get the price they want, they just withdraw. And if they do get the price they want, then the person has unfortunately paid a hugely inflated price. And they've been trapped. So this is the meaning of walatana jishu. Do not undercut. And the meaning of undercut is, so if you had two people, You've got a seller, and you've got a buyer, and you've got a third person. 
then the Prophet وسلم, says, do not undercut the other. If you have no intention of buying, withdraw. So, do not entrap one another. This is specifically in relation to out, falsely outbidding each other. And the purpose is to harm one another. She so said, do not do that. وَلَا تَحَاسِدُوا And do not be envious of each other. وَلَا تَبَاغَضُوا And do not hate each other. وَلَا تَدَابَرُوا And do not turn your backs to each other. وَكُونُوا عِبَادَ اللَّهِ إِخْوَانًا And be the servants of Allah as brothers. None of these behaviours are good. A mu'min is not guilty of any of these behaviours. And the one word that concerns is, is وَلَا تَحَاسِدُوا Do not be envious of each other. Do not be envious of each other. Now, why has Rasulullah warned us so strenuously against Hasid? As I said, Hasid is destructive, it's dangerous, it's illogical, it leads to illogical behavior, it leads to negative illogical outcomes. There's nothing positive about it. And even from a non religious perspective, it makes no sense to be envious. Envy doesn't achieve anything. It eats away at one's soul. It gnaws at one's heart. It robs one of the individual's tranquility and serenity and peace of mind. It truly does. And it burns them from within. This is why I've called envy, the the title of the talk, the inferno within. Because envy is fire. It's fire. In the hadith which I related before, of Abu Dawood in his sunnah and others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِيَّاكُمْ وَالْحَسَدِ فَإِنَّ الْحَسَدَ يَأْكُلُ الْحَسَنَاتِ كَمَا تَأْكُلُ النَّارُ الْحَطَبَ أَوْ قَالَ الْعُشْبَ Beware of envy, for envy consumes and devours good deeds, just like fire devours wood or dry grass. Prophet ﷺ has likened hasad to fire. The Prophet of Allah has likened hasad to fire. And poets have likened hasad to fire. Because that's what it does. Before it burns the other, it actually burns oneself. It does. That's why one poet says, لِلَّهِ دَرُّ الْحَسَدِ مَا أَعْدَلَهِ بَدَأَ بِصَاحِبِهِ فَقَتَلَهِ To Allah belongs the marvel of envy. To Allah belongs the marvel of envy. Now the poet's not saying that envy is marvellous. What the poet's saying is envy is so strange. It's such a, it's such a, a strange wonder. To Allah belongs the wonder of envy. How just it is. How just is envy. Envy begins with the envier and kills him. And that's what envy does. It kills us before it hurts the other. We may seethe in... We, we look at someone... 
at least for now, they are enjoying their possession, they are enjoying their wealth, they are enjoying their good fortune. What do we do? We burn with envy, we glow green with envy, we seethe with rage, we are indignant besides ourselves. We can't sleep, we can't eat in peace, we can't. We are actually consumed by what the other person has. We don't care whether we get it or not. What we want is that he or she shouldn't have it. And that's illogical. It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Why are we tormenting and torturing ourselves? Wouldn't it be better to be at peace and say, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Allah has given it to him. Alhamdulillah. I am content with the division of Allah. I am content with the distribution of Allah. I am content with the words of Allah in the Quran. قُلْ إِنَّ الْفَضْلَ بِيَدِ اللَّهِ يُؤْتِيهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ يَخْتَصُ بِرَحْمَتِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ ذُو الْفَضْلِ الْعَظِيمِ Allah says to the Messenger sallallahu Say, all grace, all bounty is in the hand of Allah. He Grants it to whomever he wishes, and Allah is most bountiful, most knowing. He, يختص برحمته من يشاء. He makes exclusive whomever he wishes with his mercy, and Allah is one of immense bounty. If Allah wants to give someone, who am I to object? Who am I to object? Envy is illogical. It truly is. When, when we are envious, we don't think straight. We don't see straight. We don't talk straight. We don't. We make fools of ourselves. Others can see, but we can't. This is why Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, whenever anybody in his gathering would speak ill of someone out of envy, he would not tolerate any ghibah, any backbiting. He would banish them. He would actually say to them, leave. He would banish backbiters from his gathering. We're not talking about large gatherings, even a small private gathering, where if he was seated and any individual began ghibah, backbiting another person, then why backbite? Often, it is the result of envy. So Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, would banish them from his gathering. And before that, he would recite a poem. Imam Abu Hanifa would read a poem. Hasad, this is what I'm saying, logic, hasad is illogical. We don't see straight because of envy, we don't talk straight because of envy. Others can actually see through us. And we make fools of ourselves, a spectacle of ourselves. And we don't realize how irrationally we are behaving. So Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, he would actually recite this poem if anyone spoke ill of another in, his, in, in front of him. And he, he would say, Hasadul fata idh lam yanalu sa'yahu. That they were envious of the young man 
because they could not keep up with his pace. They were envious of the young man because they could not keep up with his face, with his pace. So now everyone is his enemy and his adversary. Like the rivals of a fair maid. Like the rivals of a beautiful maid. Who say of her face. Out of envy and in spite and hatred. It is ugly. So the world can see that here is a fair maid who is strikingly beautiful. But her rivals... Their envy causes them to behave and to talk and to speak irrationally, rashly, illogically. The world can see she is so fair and beautiful, and in their disgust and anger and spite and envy, they turn around and say, she's so ugly. That's what envy does. It makes a person behave irrationally. Because there's a fire burning within Prophet has likened envy to fire. Poets have likened envy to fire. One poet says, Isbir ala hasad al-hasudi, fa inna sabraka qatilu. Isbir ala hasad al-hasudi, fa inna sabraka qatilu. Fannaru ta'kulu ba'daha illam tajid ma ta'kulu. Be patient over the envy of the envious one. For your patience will kill him. For fire consumes itself when it cannot find anything else to burn. Be patient over the envy of the envious one. For your patience will kill him. For fire consumes itself when it, can, when it cannot find anything else to burn and devour. And that's why... Envy is fire within. It truly is. It eats away its person. It burns him. It consumes him. It destroys him from within. And it doesn't make sense. It's far better for the person to say, Alhamdulillah, mashaAllah, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, and to be at peace. It doesn't take much. لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب ليخيه ما يحب لنفسه the hadith of Anas رضي الله عنه that one of you cannot be a true believer until he desires for his fellow brother that which he desires for himself. That's all you have to do. Pray for the other person. Compliment the other person. In fact, if you pray for the other person, the angels say, Ameen to your dua, and they actually say, And may you have it like to. May you have it like to. Instead of competing for good, all we try to do is bring each other down out of envy. Destroy one another. As I said, marriages have been destroyed, families have been wrecked, relationships and friendships have been destroyed. In fact, envy destroys friendships. How? Not by other people. So it's not about other people coming in between and whispering in one's ear against the other. No. Two friends are close to each other. Just like the brothers of Yusuf One of them is privileged with something. 
How can we all be equal? We can't all be equal. Our DNA is different. Our fingerprints are different. Our biological constitution is different. Our thoughts are different. Every one of us is unique, truly unique. No two faces are alike. Even identical twins are different. How can we be the same? We can't. Allah's beauty and wonder in his creation is in its diversity. And amongst his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and the differing of your colours, complexions and your tongues. Our different complexions, our different languages are all part of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the wonder of his creation. Our diversity is the wonder of his creation. So we're all different. We can never be alike. So you have two friends. How can they be the same in everything? They can't. One will be wealthier than the other. One will be poorer than the other. One will have less than the other. One will be more privileged than the other. Like that we read Surah Al-Kahf every Friday, or we should. Allah says, وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثْلَ And strike for them the parable of the two men. Who was one of them? One of them was poor. The other, we had given him gardens and estates and lands with rivers flowing in, in these lands and orchards. So he took his poor f- friend, companion, on a tour of his estate. And he was boastful. And subhanAllah, the poor one was a pious believer. And what did he say to him? He said to him, oh my companion, wouldn't it have been better for you that instead of boasting like this, you would have said, mashaAllah, wala hawla wala quwwata illa billah, that this is whatever Allah has wished and there is no strength or power except with Allah. That's what we should say about any good fortune that Allah has bestowed on us. That's what we should say regarding any good fortune that Allah has bestowed upon anyone else. Be happy for each other. I was saying about friends. So it's inevitable that these two friends cannot be alike in everything. One will be more privileged than the other in some things. But if one of these friends, or if both of them look at each other with a covetous, envious eye, at each other's privileges, positions and possessions, then their friendship will sour. Shaitan will come in between and whisper in their hearts and in their minds. And what will happen is Iblis, just as he came in between the brothers of Yusuf will come in between friends. Even the best of friends fall out because of envy. Families are destroyed, marriages are destroyed, friendships and relationships are destroyed because of envy. There is no positive outcome for envy, none whatsoever. It's a fire that burns within, consumes the person before it consumes others. Or speaking about fire and poets, poets have likened envy with fire. And there's that very beautiful poem, إِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ نَشْرَ فَضِيلَةٍ طُوِيَتْ أَتَاحَ لَهَا لِسَانَ حَسُودِي 
إذا أراد الله نشر فضيلة طويت أتاح لها لسان حسودي فلولا اشتعال النار فيما جاورت ما كان يعرف طيب عرف العود How it says when Allah wishes to reveal the virtue of someone when Allah wishes to reveal a virtue Allah grants that virtue the tongue of an envious person. When Allah wishes to reveal a virtue in someone, Allah grants that virtue the tongue of an envious person. If it wasn't for the burning of the fire in the vicinity, the beauty of the fragrance of Ruud would have never been known. And to understand this poem, we need to understand Rood. Rood is it's famous now. Virtually all fragrances have their source in nature. Animals, plants, herbs, spices, grass, even tobacco. So they have their source in nature. Herbs, spices, grass, flowers. It's not always just flowers, it's actually herbs and spices and grass, even leather. And they have their source in animals. Musk comes from deer. Amber, amber comes from the whale. Very precious. In fact, a few years ago I read, here in the UK, someone discovered a rock-like substance on the shore, on the beach. It was only about this big. And it came to be valued at £100,000. What was that? That was amber. It's what whales regurgitate, and it floats on the surface of the ocean, and it washes upon the shores. So that's amber. It comes from the innards of a whale, just like musk comes from the innards of a deer. So Oud is probably the most famous and the most precious and most valuable source of fragrance. And it's remarkable, uh, we call it Oud. The oil that we get is simply known as Duhnul Oud, meaning the oil extracted from Oud. And Oud is very expensive, normal per... Before now, in the early years, people would be very contemptuous of Eastern fragrances. They would. But it's, it's an acquired taste, it really is. One has to be a true connoisseur. It takes an artist to appreciate art. I remember once in our class, we were a class of 27, when I was studying in... during my days of study. I was, I was the youngest in my class. And it was a class of 27. One of the individuals in our... This was in the final year of Hadith. So we were studying Sunan al-Dirmidhi with our late teacher and Shaykh, Hazrat Mawlana Yusuf Mutala, rahimahullah. And he was, obviously, he was a connoisseur of fragrances. And one day he brought in 
some oud, duhnul oud, meaning oil of oud. So you're smelling it and saying, Subhanallah, MashaAllah. And he wanted to show it to others. So there was one individual in our class who was very old. He was married with children. He was one of the latecomers. So he wasn't one of those individuals who had grown up in Daldum. He was a mature student, very advanced in years. Uh, much, much older than the rest of the class. And I was only 18. So I was the youngest. And he, he was very outspoken. Because he never grew up as a student in the madrasa environment. He only came as a late mature student. So, Hazrat Mawlana Yusuf our teacher, he gave us this fragrance. It, well, he, he was smelling it, and then he called one of the students and he said, go and apply this to all of the students before the, uh, the study of hadith. So he started from the right, and he gave everyone a bit. And everyone who received a bit of the rood, we were told to smell it. Well, of course we would smell it. And uh, he asked us, our teacher, that, how do you find it? Because he, he was so fond of it. Obviously, he wanted us to appreciate it the way he appreciated it. So the truth is, students being students, out of respect, of course, some of them liked it and were able to appreciate it, not as well as he did, but... Other, we all just said, Gigi, mashallah. Mashallah, mashallah. And then he went around the whole class until he came to that mature student. So when he applied it to him, our teacher asked him. He called out his name. He said, Bye. Called out his name and he said, Gesselaga. How, how did you find it? So that mature student, he did this. <laughs> he said, is it? This is just like a dead rat. So, so I said, <laughs> what happened there? So, in the olden days, people were contentious of Eastern fragrances. And they found them cheap. But the truth is now that Western perfumers and Western houses of perfume have actually discovered some of these Eastern fragrances. They are now the most sought after, the most expensive and precious commodity, amber, sandal, sandalwood, and oud, and musk in uh, many of these fragrances. So normal fragrances that would cost 30 pounds, 40 pounds, Anything with Rudin normally bumped up to 200 pounds. And that's a minute amount of synthetic Rud. That's another thing. Most Rud that we find is synthetic. It's not original. It's not. It's actually synthetic. Because, and still, it's a chemical, it's synthetic, and yet the price is uh, horrendous, quite extortionate in many cases. And the reason is that the natural source of rood is, rood just means a stick. And the Arabs would call it al-rudul hindi originally. Indian wood. Rood means wood. Indian wood. 
and then it became shortened to oud. So oud, Indian wood, how would it burn and how was it first discovered? So the, the, oud, the oud is actually wood and bark from a particular tree which is infected. So an oud tree, why is mo most oud synthetic? Because the tree from which oud is derived is a tree which grows naturally and then it becomes infected. And that infection takes a very long time to grow and to develop and to take hold. So a true mature tree which gives proper root can often be a hundred years old. And the infection is what gives the fragrance. So this infected wood in the tree, if, if it's burnt, then only when it's burnt does it actually give out that fragrance as a result of the infection in the wood. So this is why it's so precious and the fragrance is truly beautiful. But it has to be appreciated. It takes an, an artist to appreciate art. So this is the origin of Ruth. So the poet says, if it wasn't for the inflammation and the burning of fire in the vicinity of the tree, the beauty of the fragrance of Ruth would have never been known. إذا أراد الله نشر فضيلة طويت أتاح لها لسان حسودي فلولا اشتعال النار فيما جاورت ما كان يعرف الطيب عرف العود When Allah wishes to reveal a virtue, Allah gives it the tongue of an envious person. For if it wasn't for the burning of the fire in the vicinity, the beauty of the fragrance of عود would have never been realized. So envy is a fire. It burns a person from within, but he actually reveals the fragrance and the beauty of a virtue in another person. That's envy. It makes no sense whatsoever. Truly, envy is destructive, and Allah and His Rasul have warned us against it. And they have both told us to be the opposites of an envious person, which is a clean-hearted, pure-hearted soul. That has many virtues. We have been encouraged to do so. And we should strive to remove envy from our hearts. And it can be done. It can be done. It's not easy, but it can be done. Through awareness, realization, education, personal discipline and personal training. No one else can do it for us. People can only show us and guide us. We have to do it ourselves. And there are ways of doing it. First of all, by acknowledgement, recognition, and then developing certain habits which remove this. Being aware of the danger of envy which we have and also the virtue of being non being non-envious and regarding that the some of the methods some of the other virtues inshallah i'll elaborate on that next week سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك